It's 17 after 10 o'clock. Let's get straight into our conversation now. We're looking at the Social Security Review 2021 and that publication being launched in Cape Town uh, last night. And of course, it's part of uh, a conversation really where there's great expectation in as far as what the president is going to announce in his State of the Nation address. What does the future of Social Security in this country need to look like the basic income grant is that the answer that we need to respond to the challenges that so many South Africans are facing including we know the high unemployment rate uh, the fact that people are literally going to bed hungry is a basic income grant that covers the adults effectively from those above 18 below 55 Is that what we need to ensure at least that there is some kind of buffer? So we'll find out where the debate is. Let me welcome my guests for today. Uh, Brenda Sebeko is the Deputy Director General at the Department of Social Development. Ms. Sebeko, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. And, of course, in studio with me here in Cape Town, uh, Mr. Selwyn Jehoma. He's the Managing Director of the Economic Policy Research Institute. Mr. Jehoma, you're one of the few guests that I have had over the last two years. So great to have you in studio. Good morning. Thank you so much, Kathy. And uh, thank you for inviting me. And good morning to the listeners. And we're happy to speak again on the topic. Fantastic. So I firstly want to begin with the need for the Social Security Review. Ms. Sebeko, tell us what is this review about and what is it meant to do? Thanks, Cathy, for having me and for giving me this opportunity to speak to, 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 to the Social Security Review. The primary reason why we did this is because um, there's, we think and we are finding that there's a great deal of misunderstanding and misconception about what social security actually means and and how it interacts with the economy, with socioeconomic life in the country. And there's a lot of, uh, I mean, the the perception primarily is that social grants equal social security. But in fact, there's much more to social security than that. There's also the need to just provide more accurate, up-to-date information and, and allow the, the, the South African citizens to engage really and participate in the policy making around social security and how it should be implemented. So, so we wanted to create a platform through which people can first learn the content and have access to the information, but also mm-hmm. be able to engage with government and provide input so that we can create a system that all South Africans can buy into and, and also feel that they have had a say in how it looks. Mr. Jehoma, yeah. when we talk about social security, the thing that comes to mind immediately for most people is grants. We automatically think the payment of social grant. But uh, just from reading this review, it looks like social security is a much broader idea and concept than that. Talk to us a bit more about that. Indeed, uh, Cathy, it's much broader. In fact, the International Labour Organization developed in 1952 what is called the minimum set of standards. And within it, it uh, delineates nine branches of social security. Um, in fact, on their list, income support, like social grants, is in fact lost. Um, they paid a lot of attention to those social security 
interventions that are related to employment, such as unemployment insurance, maternity benefits, sick leave, disability, etc. But I can expand contributing towards one's retirement, contributing towards, and we do it through the petrol levy, road accident fund. The whole idea is that when someone's income capacity is stopped as a result of unemployment or accident, then there's income. If a person is not an income earner, they are obviously dependent on family members like children, uh, older gogos. And so social assistance or grants come in for those who are unable to have ever earned income or whose income has stopped and they have not saved anything. Trust that helps. And, 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 and that's a really good analogy and context because it, it assumes that, you know, either one would be unable to earn an income or for whatever reason, as in they've been in employment and whatever happens that prevents them from continuing to earn an income. But the more important bit and the challenge that South Africa faces today is the number of people who have not had the opportunity of being part of the economy or contributing to the economy through ways of, of getting jobs. Mr. Beko, how much more difficult does that make the conversations that you as the social department, social development department then have to have about the interventions that we need that are appropriate for the problems that we face in South Africa? Yeah, so, so, so Chessie, the, the challenge is this. When we speak, as Mr. John is saying, social security, social grants, that's one aspect of it. That's the part that government pays in for people who are unable to earn an income for themselves. Yeah? The way South Africa has designed that is to say the people who are unable to earn income for themselves are children, persons with disability, and older persons above the age of 60. You know, And anyone between the ages of 18 to 59 is expected to earn an income for themselves through working in the participating in the labor market. The challenge we face is that our labor market has, has not had the capacity to absorb the number of people coming into the labor market. As a result, we have a very high unemployment rate, which was worsened by COVID. So in the absence of income support for those people, there was this huge gap. And the, the other forms of social security, the social insurance elements of it, where people make contributions while they are working in order to get a benefit when they, they lose their job, such as the Unemployment Insurance Fund and the other two that Mr. Johanna was mentioning, the Road Accident Fund and the Compensation Fund. What happens is people who have not worked, have not made contributions to those funds, cannot get an income out of those funds. So for people who have been unable to enter the labor market from age 15 when they finished high school all the way up until they reach 59, or anybody who lost a job in those period who were perhaps working in the informal sector and did not contribute to UIF, they find themselves with no way of getting an income. So government, uh, the, the, the requirement then for government to intervene in that space is what caused us to talk about a basic income support because we're saying there are people who are unable to access income who are able-bodied because the labor market has, has not been able to absorb them. Uh, but besides that, we're also saying there needs to be a comprehensive system that enables people from, from, from cradle to grave to have ways of, any, of getting an income for themselves, whether they are working and when they are not working, so that we have a continuous institutional framework that enables people to participate in the social security system throughout their lives, whether, whether they are in work or whether they are not in work. So that is the gap that is in place now institutionally. But what government is done now temporarily is just introduce this COVID grant, which is a temporary measure. 
and we're saying that is a temporary measure that's insufficient for the kind of country that we have and for the kind of challenges that we have. We need to think about something more sustainable, more long-term, and more systemic to address the systemic structural unemployment that we have in the country. The minute you bring the conversation of general basic income support for all South Africans who would meet the qualifying criteria, there's the question of where the money is going to come from to be able to sustain that project. Have you, as the Department of Social Development, taken a look at the economics of this issue? And if, in fact, it is a fair request to be putting on the country's fiscus right now. So, so effectively, uh, Ms. Beck, what I'm asking you is that if mm. you go into the finance minister's office tomorrow and mm. you present this idea and he says, well, show me where you're going to get the money, mm. what mm. will you mm. say? That's a million trillion dollar question, isn't it? Um, but this is how I would look at it. One of the chapters in our social security review deals with that question in, in a particular way. What we are saying, I mean, they, of, of course, done a lot of work around how one would potentially finance the basic income and so on. And that was a subject of a different report that was published that we launched with the expert panel that did the work for us. But outside of that, Kathy, there, there's, a, there's a bigger question that I think needs to be asked, which is, you see, the state decides what is the total budget that is going to be spent and what the priorities of the nation are in terms of how to spend that money. So, so, so when we talk about income support for people, you see, it's important not to see it as this is just money going down the drain. Because part of economic growth is influenced, in fact, by the extent of economic participation of, the, of all South Africans. So when we have such a large proportion of our population not participating in the economy, not having income, it means that even our economic growth is constrained. Because economic growth requires people to be able to buy goods and services in the market in order for the businesses to thrive. So when businesses do not have a market to which they can sell their goods and services, we have a lower economic growth, which, is, which has been the challenge in South Africa for many, many years. And we are saying it's a question of what is, is it the chicken first or is it the egg first? But our view is these things are mutually supportive, you know? So, so we should not say um, let us... If we just give money to people for grants and it's going to be very expensive, whether it's through increasing taxes or looking at other way or, or borrowing and so on, the question is, if we don't do it, is this country actually going to grow? Can you really have economic growth in the country when so many people are not participating in the economy? It's important to make sure that they participate so that, in a way, the income that gets spent on them will, over time, actually contribute to economic growth and therefore will have in net less and less people depending only on the grants because they'll be able to uh, participate in economic growth, they'll be able to participate in business uh, uh, ventures, they'll be able to... So a lot of the people who get grants actually just um, combine it with other household members' incomes and then they have higher incomes to spend in those households and some of them are even able to start economic activity which contributes to growth, which contributes to tax revenue going to the fiscal, which makes, therefore, more money available for other uh, government interventions and government priorities. So we are mm-hmm. saying we should not see this as an either or. Like that, this is a false dichotomy that gets created, and we should not see it that way. We should understand that in the way that government invests in tax breaks, for example, for businesses in order for them to grow their business, we should also invest in income support for people who are able to participate, so that they too can grow their economic activity, which will contribute to growth. That's the way Mr. that Michael, money I- is to be looked at. 
I know that you have to leave early and I'll give Mr. Jehoma a moment just to also give his uh, bit in as far as some of the questions I've asked you. Very briefly mm. for me then, as the Department of Social Development, what are you expecting the President to say on the issue of Social Security? I know you don't write his speech, but what would be a win for your department? I would, you know, you know, Tati, I'd love, I would love to, to answer the question very directly, but I think it's very important to not uh, try to steal the president's thunder or, or try, try to empty his going to say, from our side, we need proposals to, 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 to government, not just to the president, but to government as well to say, oh, we need Ms. to really think about yeah, promoting Ms. Ms. Sivako, I'm, I'm so sorry to interject there. We seem to be having issues with that line. Um, we're struggling to hear exactly what what oh. what you're saying. Um, so it, it looks like you know you don't have to weigh the burden of of answering that question after all because the line is simply not holding up. But yeah, we'll try and see if we can't get her back up on the line uh, just after the news headlines, just so uh, that we can hear exactly what is the position of the Department of Social Development going into the State of the Nation address and what, in an ideal world, they would want to see what pronouncements they would want to see around the issue of social security in the country. Uh, Mr. Salwan Jehoma is still with me in the studio. He's going to be weighing in. And in fact, then we'll also talk about the history um, of, of, of grants in particular in, in this country and what has guided uh, the approach of uh, to the policy directions over the uh, over decades, really, over a number of, of decades and not just years. It's 10.30. Let's take you to the latest news headlines. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Taking a look at your markets tonight, uh, this morning rather, the rand is trading at 15 rand 35 to the dollar, 20 rand 81 to the pound, and 17 rand 51 to the euro. Markets in Asia ended higher. The JC is mainly firm in mid morning trade. Markets in Europe are around 1% higher. Gold is trading at $1,826. Platinum, $1,030 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $90.35 a barrel. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We continue the conversation on the talking point today, and we're talking about the country's uh, social security, particularly the Social Security Review publication by the Department of Social Development. And they're really uh, putting forth, it's a debate because the ideas in this publication are not necessarily ideas that the Social Development Department uh, 100% endorses. And I think that's very clear in the beginning. But you certainly have the views of multiple experts that are talking about what they believe the future of social security in this country can be. Uh, Mr. Beko, are you still on the line? Yes, I'm here, Kathy. Okay, so I just wanted to give you a chance to answer that question that I had asked around what your department would ultimately want to see and hear in as far as any announcement that the president can make in his State of the Nation address tomorrow, which which relates to Social Security, because, of course, you are aware of, of, of the debates around the basic income grant, the extension of the Social Relief of Distress Grant, but does the department have a particular position? Well, let me put it this way to you, Kathy. Um, for us, we want to see, uh, we, we hope that the president will indicate to the country 
the extent to which government is prioritizing poor people and their needs. And that that priority is, is, is taken a little bit higher than other priorities of government. And in that instance, at the very least, if there is some indication that there will continue to be income support for people who are poor, we would be very happy. As you know, the, the grant is meant to, the FRG grant of 350 is meant to expire on the, at the end of the financial year. So we hope that uh, the president will make some sort of indication of how then that is going to be dealt with going forward so that those poor people are then not left in the lurch in the new financial year. All right. We'll leave it there for this morning. Uh, Brenda Sebeko is the Deputy Director General at the Department of Social Development. She did say she would uh, need to leave the interview early due to other commitments. Uh, Salwin Jehoma is the Managing Director for the Economic Policy Research Institute. And uh, somebody who's not new to issues at the Department of Social Development, he's led it uh, at one point or another in his former life. Uh, But let's talk then about these expectations of where things should go. You heard Ms. Siveko. She says, well, we want to see more commitment. Um, And I think that commitment ultimately would mean maybe a basic income grant, maybe not necessarily, maybe an extension of SRD. Realistically, what are the options that you think um, the the president can be playing with right now? Thanks, uh, Cathy. Um, Just a correction quickly. I used to be with the Economic Policy Research Institute till 2018. I'm an independent social security consultant. I perhaps, if with your indulgence, want to go back quickly and say, you know, where did we start with what we now call social security? Four major world events gave way to it. The Industrial Revolution put so many people out of work not being able to sell the produce and what they manufactured because industries took over. And the world generally, the developing world or Western world then said, you know, we've got to do things. And Germany, Sweden, and the UK all started introducing income support, unemployment insurance, medical insurance, and the whole nine branches. South Africa, only because we were a colony of the UK, weren't considered until 1920 after World War One, we introduced to the white population who went to Army of Veterans Benefit in 1928 to the white population of South African Old Age Grant in 1935, a disability grant, all focusing on white. At the end of, or at least in the middle of the World War II, the world got together, leaders, South Africa's leaders as well, and said, at the end of this world, we're going to have so many people in trouble financially, poverty, hunger, etc. We've got to introduce social security measures. South Africa had a parliament, Regrettably, obviously, mostly white, who sat down and said, Yes, it's a good thing. We'll, we'll introduce a social security system, but it will be for white people only because black people don't need it. They're rural, they're really negative words, and these things were used in parliament. And so we had this discriminatory, fragmented system till 1994, and we changed it. But in the meantime, we had built a welfare system for the white population, guaranteed jobs. Baron Duplessis, who became our Minister of Finance, his father had a welfare job. Um, so you weren't, in terms of the South African law prior to 92, you weren't excluded from any income support if you were white. Limited income support were given to black, colored, and Indian people. The new democratic government changed it, except for the part where it had to say, 
we need to give income support to everyone, as it happens in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, the solidarity is such that the king is the, one of the richest people in the world, but he gets an old age pension because they look at it from the point of solidarity. Is everyone covered? Coming back to now, we're in a, we're in a difficult situation post the pandemic, and the world is going to move post this epidemic, the pandemic. The fact that it has now realized that not only the pandemic, but the fourth industrial revolution is going to change the shape and nature of jobs and employment and work. And so our social security system, again globally, needs to adjust. South Africa too now has the opportunity to do much better than we did in the past. And therefore, we need to have some mental change in our mindset. If you go to Brazil, um, Mauritius, Cape Verde, Seychelles, where people have comprehensive social security systems, they look at it positively. We're sharing each other's burden. No one needs to go hungry. So South Africa needs to begin to, and, and most people, in fact, from the research we have from the Human Science Research Council, most middle-income, high-income people, low-income people, endorse a system of income support for everyone. Now, we may call it a basic income grant, and it's thought of in being designed in a particular way, or we can think of a basic income support so that no one goes to bed hungry because we have more than 10 million people going to bed hungry for a couple of days every month. That doesn't help us as a society. We need to build a society that's more inclusive, and in Europe they call it a decent society, and I put that in inverted commas. And that's what Social Security is all about. What would I like the president to hear? Again, I, I can't say that, but I do know and from what I've been reading in the media and comments from government is we're on a very positive trajectory. And for that, we should all really support government. Mm. It's interesting to me that when you go into the history of the policy around Social Security in this country, that how it was designed historically was based on the assumption that an, a young adult of working age will have a job. And that, of course, was premised of, of what was inherited. It's fascinating, this idea that pre-1994, there was an assumption that if you, not an assumption, but from the research you say you have done, that if you were a white person, it was unthinkable that you would not have access to any kind of employment, regardless of what that employment would be or how menial that employment may have been regarded. In, indeed, and we still have remnants of it. Um, institutions that are given guaranteed jobs, we, we've done it for people with disability especially, and this is, of course, prior to employment equity that accommodated them. Um, yes, the assumption was everyone was going to have a job, and in prior to 94, you were guaranteed a job if you were white, education or not. But there was also a global sense that welfare or social security was becoming a burden. This was in the 90s with the collapse of the, the Eastern Bloc. But the world has realized it is a necessity even more after the socialist system failed and people were left out with the support they reformed their systems to make sure in the Eastern Bloc countries that income support continues for people without employment. That was the expectation in whoever wrote the laws uh, at the end of 1992. But the economies have changed 
and the reality is different. And then it's coming back to what uh, Mr. Beko said is that when the Committee of Inquiry in South Africa looked at Social Security, they said, we cannot, like Europe or the Americas, expect full-time employment anytime soon. And it's going to be post-pandemic even worse. So the need is there. It was provided for in the past to a group of people. We need to spread the net and, and cover everyone. We're going to continue the conversation on the talking point. The number to dial to be part of this conversation today, 011-714-2006. That's the uh, number to get in touch with us. And, of course, you can also send those WhatsApp voice notes and messages on 614 on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SFM Talking Point. I'd love to hear your views on this conversation and debate. How wide should the net be opened when it comes to coverage? Do we need universal coverage uh, where basic income support is concerned? And what is the cost of not having that support? Currently, when you look at what some of the figures tell us is that you have a a cohort of young people that go through the schooling system relying on support from the department. And I think that support is made available to them until they're about 18 years. Once they reach matric, they are no longer eligible for that support because according to the policy, they're now adults and they are able to take care of themselves. What that means is that these young people, sometimes we find who are unemployed, some who are unable to pursue higher education, then have no way of sustaining themselves. The economy is not growing at half the rate it needs to go, grow. There is no opportunity in the work market, or maybe let me not say there's no opportunity, but certainly there are no jobs for these young people as things stand. What should become of these young people? Because we put them through the schooling system, acknowledging that they need support, they're receiving grants. The minute they're 18, we say, well, you're old now, go and figure it out. How are they supposed to figure it out? What are the interventions um, that you think can be put in place and how else? Can government be responding to this conversation? Because the point here is that we as South Africans have the opportunity to influence the policy that, that govern, government makes. Mr. Jehoma, am I right? That, that we as South Africans have a say in what the future of social security should look like? Indeed, Cathy. We're a democracy. We're a constitutional democracy. And Section 27 of the Constitution entitles everyone to the right to Social Security, and it continues with other rights. Um, I think we often say government spends so much money. It's not government. Government is the institution, the executive. Government is charged through processes to collect revenue. So government spends the revenue of those who contribute in the country. And in a balanced economy, or using the economic word, in a setup of allocative efficiency, government needs to decide how much will it spend on roads, on safety, on healthcare, etc. And it makes those choices. The question is, are we making the choices in a way that is efficient, equitable, and fair? 
Why do we think a benefit like this would be affordable? Is because government also spends a lot of money on tax subsidies to middle-income people. If I earn a million rand per year and I, I'm supposed to pay 27% tax on that, it's 270,000 rand, but government allows me to pay a contribution to a number of other expenses such as medical aid, such as my private pension, and then I get taxed. So I get taxed less, and that uh, provision is not there for high income. And so in other forms also, subsidies um, for the multi industry, subsidies to maintain certain jobs. It's about how do we spread it in a more equitable way so that no one goes to bed hungry two, three times a week or uh, a month. And so it, it's around making those decisions in which government ought to make those decisions guided by the interest of the citizen. And the whole idea of this review is for the citizens of South Africa to read it, to engage with it, and then to say, but government, you need to make these decisions that benefit all of us, and not just the 5 million, what's now less people who pay tax. We'll continue the conversation with Mr. Selwyn Jehoma. And, of course, you heard there he is an independent social security consultant. We'll do that. We'll also take some of your WhatsApp voice notes that you've sent through and a couple of your calls after this break. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Regenesis Business School offers multi-accredited higher education programs ranging from bachelor's, diplomas and certificates to MBA degrees. Gain competitive advantage, learn from the best of the best, advance your career, boost your earning potential, network with 200,000 Regenesis influential alumni across the world. Visit Regenesis at their Stanton campus or at www.regenesis.net. Enroll now. Places are limited. Get energized, inspired, and awaken your potential to break fears, take risks, and achieve greatness. Regenesis Business School. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're continuing the conversation on the future of social security in this country and perhaps uh, some of the contributions to the debate in terms of what the future of social security in this country needs to look like. Pastor Duma, you're calling us from Durban. Good morning, Pastor Duma. Good morning, Elsie Kathy. How are you, man? I'm well, thank you. And your guests, thank you very much. Uh, I'll see Kathy, there's a verse in Scripture. I'm not preaching. Please, no, no, no that I'm <laughs> when, not. When are you ever not preaching, Pastor Duma? <laughs> well, I cannot not preach anyway, so I'll get a chance. <laughs> but there's a verse in Scripture that says, Oh, sluggard, go and watch the ant. What the ant does. Kathy, we've been given hands, three H's. A human being, every one of us has been given a heart, hands, and a head. So... The social grant, what it will do eventually, it will produce sluggards and people that want free, free, free. If I get a chocolate cafe of 2 million rand, that is costing me 2 million rand, and I give it to you. In the most, generally, it will not have value to you because I just gave it to you for free. Sometimes you doubt it. Or if I gave you a Ferrari just for free, the way you will look after that Ferrari will not really, really matter because it was free. As long as 
as we produce people this way that are going to get things for free, yet we've got the ability to do something, at least get something from the social grant, give somebody as a start-up. It has to end someday, somewhere. Not that you just got free, 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 and at the end of the day, without this free, 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 what else? Because you've been produced to only rely on social grant. Your life is going nowhere. You've got hands, you've got a heart, you've got a head. Do something about Pastor Duma. And I wasn't Pastor Duma. Yes, ma'am. Can we really equate 350 rand to a Ferrari? Is that a fair? Is that a fair analogy? Kathy, if somebody hasn't got a half a loaf of bread, and I gave them a half a loaf of bread, it's equivalent to a Ferrari, yes. Because it is measured according to one's need. If I don't have what I don't have, I'm on zero. Whatever I get to me is supposed to be value. Unless it is value to me, then there is no value in that. That's what I, that, that's the point that I'm driving at here, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Nothing else, because at the end of the day, every one of us has got the ability in us to do something. You cannot just lie down and, and just die when you can. I, I can I absolutely assure so, you. So, 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 Pastor Duma, so, Pastor yes. Duma, here, here's my difficulty, right? The assumption that you're making is that the people who are unemployed, who are unable to provide for themselves, that the reason they are in that position is because they have decided to sit down and do nothing. And yet the research that we have says something completely to the contrary. Because when you look at the applications for those who've been receiving even the Social Relief of Distress grant, you have about 60% of people aged between 18 and 35 that have been paid out of that grant. You look at the state of unemployment in this country, that's over 40%. That's, you know, some of when when we are looking at the broader definition of, of unemployment. And so realistically, that paints a picture of young people who should be in work, who very much have gone to school to work, some of them, but they are unable to get work because of the structure of this country's economy. Now, when you tell that person that find a job, if it was that easy, would they not have found it already? Alsi Kathy, let me say this also, just shortly, uh, just mm. short. Um, mm. If if uh, I, I, I've worked at a company, I've, I've, I've run departments where a person walks in and they say they, they, they're looking for a job. And I, I normally ask them, what can you do? They say anything. And I say, we've got a job of a managing director. Would you be able to do that? They run away. Because of ability and qualification. Sometimes, some of us have put ourselves in situations where we've learned completely something wrong. Or if everybody, I'm not, I'm not running down the taxi drivers. If everybody just had a driver's license and wanted a taxi driver job, there's millions of taxi drivers and you won't have a job. But there are jobs out there, Kathy. That if we were able to identify well, talent well, and pick up people that can do A, B, C, D, and ability. Some of us are so lazy. I'm not saying everybody. Some of us are so lazy. They don't want to start from the bottom. Start okay. in a company, volunteers, go from the bottom and start and move yourself up. How difficult is that? Okay, Pastor Duma, let's leave it there Thank for you. this morning. Thanks for Thank the you. contribution. We'll stay in Durban. Basha, good morning. Good morning. Yes. 
Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. Uh, Kathy, I'm firstly I'm a truck driver, uh, but uh, I've started off in a in, in a shoe factory. My question is, where is the industries like the shoe, clothing, furniture, and the steel industry? Uh, all those are closed now, which is creating unemployment. I think the government should minimize imports and create employment by having these factories opened again so that people can be unemployed and uh, the unemployment rate will be reduced drastically. Mm -hmm. I'm talking from experience because when I left school in 1979, my first place of work was a shoe factory and I used to pack shoes into bags. And uh, then I moved up, and finally I got myself a license in 1980, and I started driving since then. But I'm still saying, export, uh, sorry, import is not the way to go for our people. When the government say our people, our people, I don't know what he means by that. I don't know if he knows the meaning of our people, and yet he is making our people uh, starve, as they say. The people are going hungry, uh, you know, Mm. at night and they don't know i see on the roadside people are taking those checkers trolleys and walking with them with scrap metal cardboard plastic bottles and uh, it's not it's not good to see our people in that way create okay. jobs you'll mm. have reduced unemployment thank you very oh. much kathy okay basha Th thank you so much for for calling in and for weighing in on this issue let me go to mtata maduna good morning uh, good morning, uh, Kathy, to you and your production team. Thanks for the spelling work you are doing. Kathy, I think uh, going forward in 2022, the first thing we should do as citizens of this country is that uh, if you invite somebody uh, from any department and he or she comes and tells us that uh, she's rushing for another engagement. She might as well not come because the problem is uh, some of the things we are and the ideas we are throwing here, they are meant actually to assist those departments. But let me pass there and zoom in look look uh, look um, um, mr maduna perhaps then that, that that if if that's how you feel about it then it's my it was my call because i thought it would be better to have her than not have her at all they actually have uh, exco meetings today where they have to present to the minister and other officials so she really did step out of those meetings just to to accommodate our request now, without belaboring the point, that is basically why departments have got spokespersons. But let's pass on that one, Kathy. Kathy, let me zoom in on the uh, social uh, relief uh, support, whatever you call it. You've made a clear clarification. And just um, highlight the fact that uh, in the development arena, we come from an era which used to say, if you want to engage in a developmental trajectory, you must teach a man how to fish, not to catch a fish for him or her. That in itself will reduce a dependency syndrome and also it will enable you to 
cascade the program to other areas. But now, if you look at the development, at the current development trajectory, which uh, Mercedes was explaining, unfortunately, it instills the same concept of a dependency syndrome. There is no cut-off point here, KP, whereby you are saying, uh, let us have a progressive or a gradual system where, let's say, after 18 months, after 24 months, I will cut you off uh, the system so that uh, the assumption would be that after that uh, amount of time, you would be standing on, on your own uh, two feet. But let us also mention here, that uh, it is rather unfortunate that there are programs which are doing exactly what I'm saying and what other people are saying. But unfortunately, they don't seem to get the attention of government. Let me mention that too. You ask anybody, Katie, he was based in Mtata in Transkei and ask him or her if he knows a place called Mpindwini or Haibari. For the benefit of your listeners, that place, there is a developmental program run under the auspices of MRTP, which is an NPC, whereby, Katie, Young people, they are being initiated into gardens. And out of that, they are made to produce both for their own consumption and for the market consumption. And out of that, KB, that is verifiable. Anybody can verify it. They are able to eke out a living. Let's say when they are still in the production phase, they are, they are getting... 8,000 rand up until the, the, the crop is ready to be harvested. But now, why am I raising it in, uh, in relation to the president's, uh, what you call, expectations? It's because these ideas, they are being brought to government, to all government structures. You're talking local government, you're talking uh, uh, government funding agencies, but they just don't seem to understand it. Now, where does it lead us? It leads us to a situation whereby, at the end of the day, we are creating a generation which is going to be dependent. And coming to your question, the question would be, for how long is the fiscal going to afford them? And at that time, where the fiscal will no longer be able to afford them is coming very soon. And if okay. you and me will be victims of that, thank you, Katie. All right, Mr. Maduna, thank you for that view and that call out in Mtata. I'll give Mr. Jehome an opportunity uh, to respond to those reflections after the latest 11 o'clock news. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
It's 8 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. I'm just looking up at my screen and I'm seeing Ethel Trollope becoming a member of Action SA. Hey, so much is happening uh, in the political landscape of this country, but I don't want to get caught up in that. Uh, coming up in this hour, of course, we're going to be talking, um, we're going to be having our health segment as we do, and we're talking about the liver today, the healthy functioning of a liver. And as always, uh, you'll be able to put questions to our specialist doctor who's going to be part of that conversation. We are, however, still going to wrap up what we were discussing within the 10 o'clock hour, which is social security in this country. And realistically, what does the future of Social Security need to look like? What is the trajectory that uh, we should be going on? Uh, Mr. Selwyn Jehoma, who is an independent Social Security expert or or consultant, rather, is still with me in studio. And uh, we're going to give him an opportunity to respond just to the questions that our listeners had had raised and effectively what it is that he believes um, can be done looking forward to uh, the future of, of Social Security. Mr. Jehoma. Uh, thanks again, Cathy, and thanks uh, to the contributors, um, Pastor Duma, Mr. Basad, Mr. Maduna. You've made valid uh, comments in respect of the creation of employment. We need that more than anything. But getting jobs costs money. Government has created jobs in many spheres, Part of it is, for example, the expanded public works program, in which more than 5 million job opportunities were created, at least in the year of 2013-14, when we did a review. But it costs money to create those jobs. And what the research has found that for every one job that's created, about 30 cents go to the person that does the job on the road, on the street, cutting trees or whatever, and 70% of it goes towards administration. That's people managing the other people doing the jobs. And most of those people doing the managing were middle high income people who get more of the money out of it. So government has had to ask itself the question, is it easier to give people money that they can live off and survive? Um, And Pastor Duma, I think it helps to understand the numbers, the magnitude that that we're talking about. We don't have 12 million lazy people walking around Pastor Duma. We meet people in Soweto, we interview people with degrees. They must make a decision on a daily basis. Do I use my 10 rand to buy a bread or do I go to a shop to make a CV and apply for a job? That's difficult if you're hungry because they know if they go and make a copy of the CV, there's no food. Or if they submit that CV for a job opportunity, they don't have a copy. And it's very basic things that keep people away from finding the jobs. Yes, we don't have the skills often for the many jobs that are available and part of what the Department of Social Development is planning to do, and this comes from the minister, is linking beneficiaries who get the grants in line with what Mr. Basada said, give them an income support for a period of time and then get them into training. The minister's plan is exactly to expand work in that area around creating social entrepreneurship, creating jobs. We And so I'm really pleading to the pastor especially because I know this idea of dignity comes out of work comes with all due respect from a certain um, religious persuasion to which I happen to have grown up in. And we often use and say what we say because we've learned it from someone else. We condition. We say the sky is blue because everyone says the sky is blue. 
the sky isn't really blue. And the same people aren't lazy. People want to work. They, they don't want to. In fact, the research indicates that the people who get the grants all indicate they'd rather not want to have the grants. Different feeling from how people in Europe feel. The chief executive officer of the Sociale Versicherungsbank gets a grant for his children. He feels he's part of the society. We exclude our people, then they don't feel part of the society, and we, we, we pay a price for it. Social unrest, crime, etc. And it's not said as a threat, but these things are correlated to poverty, inequality, uh, and challenges that people face. So, yes, we all agree on the job, and Mr. Basada said it quite correctly. After 94, we allowed more imports. It devastated our clothing factory here in the Western Cape. It touched on many other industries. So many countries are now saying, especially after the pandemic, when they had to rely on China for, for vaccines and masks and gloves, are saying, we need to begin to produce those things inside. At the end of the day, I should say there's a cost to that as well, but it seems that it would be a better option as we, in the meantime, support the 12 to 20 million people who can't find a job past the Duma. Thank you. All right, Mr. Jehoma, let me thank you so much for coming into the studio and for making time to be part of this conversation. We certainly appreciate it and we hope we'll be able to engage you again in future. Pleasure is all mine, Kathy. Thank you. All right. So we're going to then leave it there with that particular conversation for today. Coming up after this break, we're going to get straight into our health talk. Before we do that, however, some of your WhatsApp voice notes on this very same issue.